Restaurant Unstoppable, episode 531 with Greg Denton. There's a lot of times that people say they're like PR, 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 right? The best PR is you. You have to do it. They might get you an invite to something, but like when a PR person comes down, you say, I want food and wine, best new chef. There's no PR agency that's going to get you those things, right? Are you ready for it factors, success stories, failures, and bombs of restaurant industry knowledge? Then join Eric Cacciatore and today's incredible guest as they share what it takes to become unstoppable. You got to check out Wisetail, a premier learning management system. Wisetail is a forward-thinking training and communication platform built to engage today's workforce. Wisetail is trusted because it grew up alongside some of the most recognized restaurants in the industry. This has helped them shape their product and its functionality through real-world feedback and rigorous testing. Wisetail can help you scale your training initiatives across all locations while empowering your employees to take control of their learning and their professional growth. To learn more, head over to www.wisetail.com slash unstoppable or find the banner in the show notes. And if you use my links, you'll get your first three months free after signing up for a year contract. Again, that's wisetail.com slash unstoppable. You got to check out Wisetail, a premier learning management system. Wisetail is a forward-thinking training and communication platform built to engage today's workforce. Wisetail is trusted because it grew up alongside some of the most recognized restaurants in the industry. This has helped them shape their product and its functionality through real-world feedback and rigorous testing. Wisetail can help you scale your training initiatives across all locations while empowering your employees to take control of their learning and their professional growth. To learn more, head over to www.wisetail.com slash unstoppable or find the banner in the show notes. And if you use my links, you'll get your first three months free after signing up for a year contract. Again, that's wisetail.com slash unstoppable. With excitement, allow me to introduce to you today's guest, Chef Greg Denton. Chef, are you feeling unstoppable today? I am feeling completely unstoppable today. <laughs> yes. Greg Denton and Gabriella, say your name for me, man. I'm going to screw it up. I know I am. Quinone, Quinones. I, I knew I was. Gabriella Quinones Denton. Denton. <laughs> Thank you. It's an elegant name. <laughs> it is. Too elegant for my mouth, that's for sure. Yep. Uh, met in the late 90s while working at Terra under the highly respected hero, Sone, where Greg rose to the title of Chef de Cuisine and Gabby to sous chef. After five years in Hawaii in 2007, the couple made the move to Portland, Oregon, and in 2011, they left Metro Vino to open their own Ox restaurant. It was at Ox where Greg and Gabby began to build their notoriety, earning Food and Wine's Best New Chefs and James Beard's Best Chefs Northwest. Today, Greg and Gabby own Ox, Waybar, Bistro, Agnes, and Cask. Obviously, this is just scraping the surface. I can't wait to dive into your story, Greg. But let's get that motivational, inspirational, ball rolling with a success quote or mantra. What do you got for us? It's pretty simple. Don't suck. Don't suck. <laughs> we'll dive into that. What do you mean? Well, I feel like there's so many opportunities to cut corners and not do your best. And you have to remind yourself to always to always defend the customer. That, that customer 
is it might be your eighth time or 20th time doing it tonight, but it's that customer's first time experience it. And mm. so don't suck. I love it, man. Awesome way to get this thing started. And where did it all begin for you? Um, I did my research. I found you guys working together under Chef uh, Hiro Sone. Did I say it correct that time? Mm-hmm. I don't know why I'm you struggling with names No, today. you nailed it. Yeah. Uh, but I'm sure the story starts before then. So bring us to when you really knew that this was going to be your career, your path. Well, I'm, I'm a bit special in that way. As I knew in a, a very young age, my father, I, my father was in the restaurant business. And I knew that from a very young age. And so I got an Easy Bake Oven. Uh, kind of started with that. Uh, the it, I made a cake, and I was like, "Wow, I want to do this." And I kind of knew my dad wanted, you know, was wanted to go to culinary school, and so I kind of made it a mission for me to to make it to culinary okay. school in my head. I mean, really young. And then, so do you know I, the moment where you're like, "This is my jam"? Can you bring it to that moment? And like, what was happening in that moment that made you I, f- I, just fall I, in love? I mean, this really sounds crazy, but it was when I was four years old when I made that stupid cake wow. in the Easy Bake Oven. <laughs> That's crazy. And, yeah, it's crazy, yeah. right? And I always knew I wanted to do it. And then I, I could, I'm guessing that I wanted to make my dad proud. Like he didn't get to culinary school. So I was like, I really wanted to, I wanted to do it. Yeah. And I mean, I'm a one of four children, four brothers. Um, so I don't know where that means. I'm second oldest. So okay. I don't know if, you know, what Freud would say, but I wanted to make my dad proud. And so he was a manager of a, family restaurant called Lums. It was a chain back in the 70s and okay. 80s. Kind of fell apart since then. I don't know if there's any, they even exist anymore, but I started in the kitchens there around nine years old and kind of helped prep and dishwash and bus tables and wait tables and I line cooked and I just worked my way through there and that's how we kind of made my extra spending money when I was a kid and I just, I never wanted, I I worked at a bowling alley one time for like two <laughs> weeks and I remember I was cleaning ashtrays and <laughs> just nasty stuff and I just go, the, the the guy who owned it was like, well, wait until league season, then you're going to get real busy. And I was like, <laughs> screw this. I'm <laughs> yeah. oh, sorry. I don't mean to swear. No, you can say uh, whatever and, you want, and, man. I don't uh, have And I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm done. I'm just going to go back to, to wait, you know, to, to lums. And, um, and I, I, you know, I, I think that, from there, I knew I wanted to go to culinary school. I started at one culinary school called Paul Smith College. It's in upstate New York. When I was there, it was a good school, but I noticed they were using the Culinary Institute of America's like cookbooks. Yeah. And I was like, why, why am I here paying all this money? <laughs> why don't I just go to the source of this? And yeah. so I transferred to the Culinary Institute of America in Hyde Park, New York. Okay. I took it really seriously, very professionally. I, I, I was like, I never missed a day. I, I really focused. I wasn't like a partier. And, and that school's kind of locked down anyway, so it's kind of hard to party there. Anyway. Yeah, I think they make it hard enough that you really don't have yeah, to pay with party. <laughs> yeah, they, they really do. Um, and, then, and then, you know, I just, I mean, from there, it's just the culinary tours, I like to call it. I, I lived, you know, from Maine to Maui, points in between, Columbus, Ohio, um, Maryland, I worked for the Central Intelligence Agency okay. at one point in time for my externship wow. in Maryland. Um, I, I, you know, and then I went from in Vermont and to Napa Valley, and that's where I met Gabby and worked for Hero Sony. I went there out there to work at the French Laundry and uh, and Bouchon. So, were um, you at the French Laundry? I didn't know. I I I I I remember what a douchebag I am. <laughs> I, I totally. So I was a sous chef at this four star mobile four star restaurant in Vermont, 
like okay. 21 years mobile, old. Mobile, four-star restaurant? So mobile. The oh. mobile. So there was, there's different ratings. Back in, when I was you know, younger, there was triple uh, A, okay. uh, Diamond Awards, and there was four and five stars were the highest levels. And yep. then the mobile, mobile, like mobile gas, okay. uh, four and five stars. Gotcha, gotcha. So I was at a four-star restaurant. It was, you know, four, four star, four diamond. It was pretty good. It's called yeah. Hemingway's. It was around for 25 years or so. And um, I made my way up to sous chef. I was super young. I was really confident and cocky, you know, right out of school. And I had just done a stodge at Charlie Trotters. And so I, I was like really looking like I want to go yeah. big time. So, you know, this is kind of not before computers, but I was looking at like their guides and I was looking through the book and I saw the French laundry and I was like, ooh, I want to go here. And I think they were only a four star at that time, which is hilarious. <laughs> what year is this? I'm curious. Uh, 90 Early 90s? Three or five? Okay. No, 94. Okay. And so um, I kind of, no, no, I'm sorry. No, no, no. Uh, 97. Okay. 97. Got you. And so uh, I sent my resume and everything and they sent me back and they said, we'd love to have you, but we're going to start you at our new restaurant called Bouchon. And I was like, oh, okay. I was like, oh. You know, I don't really want to work at Bouchon because it's just a bistro. I really want to get in the French laundry. So I, when I got to Napa, I went to the laundry and I walked up thinking it's just like a normal restaurant. And I was like, hey, I just wonder if I could talk to the chef. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Eric Zebel, uh, who was the, sh- the chef de cuisine at the time, uh, came out and I was like, I was like, hey, I know I sent my resume in and I know that I was offered job at Bouchon, but I'd, I'd really love to work here. And he's like, Hmm. He's like, yeah, well, we're good. You know, we have enough employees. And I go, oh, but everybody needs good help. <laughs> I, I could have, sh- I mean, thinking back on it, I would love to just punch my younger self right in the face, you know? Um, but that was, that was, they knew, the laundry knew that I wanted to, that I wanted to be there. But, you know, I was going to have to go through Bouchon first. Yeah. So I wasn't the, op- I wasn't opening, but I was pretty close to the opening, one of the opening cooks there. And I worked, um, the, I was the Poissonnier. I worked the fish station and, um, I was there for about six months or so. Were you staging the entire time? Were they paying you or were you working? No, for- I, okay. I got paid at Bouchon, okay. but, but I was staging. Then I was staging at the laundry. You okay. know, I was just getting my hands in there, getting my head in there, getting my face in there. Uh, I feel very fortunate that I was one of those people got actually got an interview with Thomas Keller, okay. like a sit down interview awesome. yeah. in the, in the laundry's dining room. And I appreciate you being super aerial right now. Cause I'm need to be better about kind of going through like this portion of the interview kind of quicker, but you've, worked for some incredible people that you've just touched on even up to this point. Uh, can we kind of tap the brakes just a little bit? And of can, course. Is there anybody that really had a huge impact on you as a chef, as you as a future business owner who really showed you what the job done right looks like? Any, any people that really just influence who you are today? I mean, my father would be one of them. Mm-hmm. What did uh, you learn from your father? I mean, the father, to be fair, mm-hmm. you know, my father was, um, my father was, uh, he had, you know, to be a child and, you know, you could easily show preference, right? He never showed me one lick of preference. Okay. And, uh, he was always fair to everybody, you know, like he was a tough boss, but he was really fair. So I learned a lot from him. And then I would say the other person that I learned a lot from was, um, I mean, I mean, Thomas Keller just interviewing with him, you know, he asked me the question, you really want this, you know? And it's just like, when you look, I mean, he's an intense guy, like super nice, super nice. (laughs) But then when you sit down with him and he's like asking you those questions, you're kind of like, 
I don't know if I want this. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, it freaks take you us out through a that because uh, I mean, what was a lesson from that interview? I mean, we all interview so many people in this industry, but like, how does like take me through Thomas Keller's style of interview? I mean, he's just asking you straight up point blank questions. Like, it's like. In my head, I was like, this is like what, you know, he's got kind of dark, dark eyes, you know, and he's just, he suddenly got real serious. He was super friendly to me in the beginning. Then he got real serious with me and asked me if I really wanted this. And I don't know what it was. I I lost confidence. I was like, I was like, oh my God, you're looking into my soul. Yeah. And I don't know if I want this, but either way, at the end of the day, I... I think I subconsciously was like, I don't know if I want the French laundry and, and not that they offered it to me, but I don't know if they want it, if I wanted it. And, um, because you have to be, there's a certain type of person you have to be to work there. And there usually it's very, very a type. It's very, very, uh, clean and organized and, and, but, but to an excessive, Mm -hmm. you know, and if you, if you were not at that point, it's it's gonna be hard for you to work there and and you know I don't know man it was it was just it's, one of the things you have to look yeah. deep in yourself. It almost sounds like he was trying to convince you not to do it because totally. he's trying to save himself the time and energy. Like hey, like are you sure? And I yeah. think that's what we should all try to do. We should yep. try to convince people not to work for us because you want to filter through. I mean, there's I think it's Tony Shea from Zappos, mm-hmm. right? Will offer his people three thousand uh, dollars severance to quit. After the first week, yep, he wants to filter people out as soon as possible, uh, and like that's one thing he does is yep. like, are you sure? Like after a week, we'll give you three thousand dollars to leave right now because it will be cheaper for us to give you that three thousand dollars to get you out of the our culture now if it's if you're not the right fit. So you know, you really be selective and and really know uh, what your standard is. Well, I learned I learned a lot from that. I learned a lot like from when I was at Charlie Trotters. I realized that wasn't some that wasn't the kind of um, environment I wanted to be it was very um not fraternity because it sounds it sounds uh childish when I say fraternity but it was like it's like you it's like army like you know in what is it the initiation right like there's this whole process you have to go through to get initiated. You get you get messed with, you get fucked with, you you know. This is at the French Laundry. No, this is at the Charlie Trotters. Okay. And like mops don't smell right. Mm, go get me a new mop water. Uh, you know, uh, your pots and pans. That's it, not cool. Though. It, it, well, I mean, man, that's that's they they're just they're weeding out the weak. Yeah. Right. And so they're trying to see if you have the character to be able to yeah. roll and. Uh... But then there was also things like you know at the end of the night. You know, I was there on payday, and we had just worked. Um, you know, I was there from probably eleven or ten in the morning, and we were walking out around three thirty at in the morning. Mm-hmm. And but before everybody left, he gathered. They gathered everybody around, and they he handed out paychecks. And if you got a paycheck, everyone like applauded for you. <laughs> and just like everyone's just like the faces on everybody was like, what the fuck? Like, yeah. like what is going on? So. I, that kind of structured me into like, oh, I don't know if I want that. And I don't, I'm not saying the laundry was the same, but there was some of those feelings, right? There was some things that I saw there that I wasn't, I don't know if I wanted to be put through that to get there. And whether that be my, my ego put or my... through that to get there. So that being the, uh, what's the word? Um, uh, well, I'll give you a great example. So Eric Zebel, who's the, the chef there at the time, was upset because someone messed up. And the kid was there with me early in the morning. So it was like uh, five in the morning we were yeah. there. And all the kid needed was to get his sheet signed out. 
and it is like his prep sheet yeah. um, signed by the chef. Yeah. And he messed up that day, and then he, like Eric, made him wait for hours after. Because like, I was saying, I, I was waiting. I was going to watch the whole service. I was going to do anything. And to watch service at the laundry at that time, you just like stood on this silver box. Yeah. Kind of like just observing yep. from there. And you didn't touch anything. You just watched. And, and it was amazing. You know, amazing. But I'm the corner of my eye, I just kept on watching this kid getting... Like, he just was standing there just waiting for his sheet to get signed out. And I get, like, putting some pressure on somebody. But it wasn't until, like, 9.30 or 10 o'clock at night that he finally signed him out. Made him wait for about four and a half hours or three and a half hours after his 12-hour day. Yeah. To sign. And I just was like, how how much do you need to punish somebody right mm. i mean what's the what's the course correction on that you know and i get it it's just it's hard it's a hardcore thing and i don't i don't i don't say this to demonize them or their methods mm-hmm. they, they obviously it's worked they're yeah. the, one of the best so restaurants in the world this is the french laundry that where, where you experience it's not tom not um, yeah yeah not charlie charlie okay, charlie cool. charlie's was a different yeah. but it, but i realized at that, that high level that there's a there's a whole another mental game to this that you have to be broken and then rebuilt right, and that's part of it. It's just like the army. It's just like the marines. It's just like it's like that whole thing. And I just I I've you, always kind of been against the the man in a certain respect. So there's yeah. a freedom to me that I can't take out. I mean I don't know if it's ingrained in me, but I just I have an issue with that. I don't I don't submit easy. Yeah. So was it this experience that did you choose not to go forward with the stage or? Well, no. So then, then, you know, surprise, surprise. I had a problem with, I had a problem with authority at, uh, Bouchon with one of the chefs there and I got into a fight with him and he told me, he asked me, Hey, listen, he's like, he's like, he's like, if you don't like, you can get the fuck out. And I was like, what was the problem? Take us into the detail. I mean, (laughs) well, the fact (laughs) was that someone didn't show up and he wanted me to, prep a station that I've never prepped before. And I had already prepped my station. He wanted to take over my station, which I was already prepped. Um, that being said, I should have done it. That was a bitch move of mine. Mm-hmm. I don't, I don't, that that's like, of course you're a, you're a chef. You have too many things to do. You can't prep that. But there wasn't, the problem that I had was that there wasn't guidance to like, Hey, I need you to, I need you to work the station. You've never worked because, because of, of this guy never yeah, showing up. Yeah. There was no explanation. There was just a demand. Mm. And that was my problem, right? Yeah. And that's what set me into a... And I was just like, are you kidding me? Yeah. And then I kind of just ignored him. He's like... The power of why is, can, you know, why do you want me... And if you just take that little extra, be like, yeah. you know, we, you know, the, the industry kind of has the reputation, the, the, the history of just like, yes, chef. Totally. You know, you like just, you said, oh, okay, yes. I don't question you, just yes, chef. But yeah. we're moving, the industry's changing, and it's harder and harder to, you know, for the better, honestly, uh, you know, it's good to educate your people, uh, and we need to give them explanations. Maybe not in the middle of service, maybe wait until afterwards, but hey, earlier, you know, I told you to do something, you challenged yes. me, uh, that's not cool. I think, I think that's a, that, to me, the team aspect of it needed to be, we're in a tough situation here. I need you to work. I need you to push on this station. I know that your station's set up. Can you please do this? And I'd be like, okay, what do I need to do? Because I've never set the yeah. station up before. Yeah. I mean, you're you're basically 
I mean, and I get it. That's just, that's the mentality of those restaurants. And so I just was kind of like, kind of like, are, are you serious? Cause it'd be way easier for you to, to do this okay. than it would be for me. You know, I'm just, again, I'm young, I'm yep. egotistical. And so anyway, I just, that was, you know, that was it. And he just, you know, we kind of got into a little bit of a shouting match because I, I just, just was like, I didn't understand. And, uh, he told me I could get out if I wanted to. And yeah. I, and I did. So this is 97. This was 90 is, uh, no, that was 97, 98. Okay. So. And, and it was in the late nineties. So I'm assuming 98, 99 that you went to work with chef hero. Yep. And what did you learn from chef? Cause he had some incredible mentors himself. So what was that process? Well, like? it was, it was opposite of that, right? Okay. It was nurturing. It was, um, calm. It was still direct. It was still serious. Mm-hmm. But there was more. Um, there was more patience, patience mentorship, and like mentorship. Okay. And I don't mean to put um, words in your mouth. No, right no. Now. But you're you're kind of nailing it, right? Like it's it just it fit me better, right? And uh, uh, like I just uh, you know, and and maybe it's because I got kind of hit in the mouth, right, or a little mm-hmm. bit. Because at the end of the day, I mean, I wrote I wrote thomas keller like when i won food and wine best new chefs i wrote him in a, a, a letter a handwritten letter um apologizing for my leaving mm. you know because that's a it's a bitch move it's, it yeah. puts everybody in i mean i left on a day that another guy didn't show up how selfish is that mm. right like that's a that's that's something i would you know he was having a bad day yeah you know like what a jerk yeah. i was right yeah. And unfortunately, I was just young and dumb and egotistical. So you walked out? Oh, fuck yeah, I walked out. <laughs> well, he asked, he told yeah. me if I didn't like it. And I was like, no, I don't like it. Okay. You know? Wow. So you gave me the choice, man. Man, well, thank you, you know? for getting open and honest and well, like, yeah. like transparent about like the, because this, this show isn't just about the successes. It's about our failures oh. and our shortcomings and learning from those shortcomings. What was the biggest lesson from that shortcoming? Oh, just that, you know, it all comes around, right, yeah. man? Like there's been times that people have walked out on me and, and it's tough, you know, and you just, and you try to learn from that. Right. Um, I think you gave us the lesson. You yeah. gave us the lesson. Uh, so bringing it back to Hero, uh, more still very high standards, but a much more nurturing atmosphere. Uh, what did you learn about um, your, I mean, this is kind of where you, really grew as a professional because you weren't staging. This is like your job. You grew mm-hmm. to chef de cuisine. Uh, what did you learn about yourself during this time? Well, I learned that I needed uh, to calm down a little bit. Okay. Um, I ne- needed to slow my competitive nature down just a little bit. I was, you know, um, that a calm leader can be just as effective as a... Or more effective. Or more effective, but it, as a as a as a yeller or a screamer, yeah, as an angry one. Control. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So it's, it's one of those, you know, but you know, back then in the early nineties or late nineties, you know, there was, there was this suddenly the competitive drive really was like rolling in, you know, internet started to happen. Shows started to happen and you were getting a lot of these young kids that were trying to be, you know, what were they, you know, like popularity of the culinary arts started to really grow then. So, um, I felt like I had a good balance between, um, professional, like, like calm professionalism, but like dropping the hammer when I needed to. And so, but from hero, I learned, I learned that I didn't need to do it all the time Mm -hmm. and that you can have, 
fun in the kitchen. You can, you can have fun in the kitchen, but you also, there's a balance of professionalism that you better be set up on time. Yep. So that's good. You know, I mean, and, and then so many other lessons. I mean, he's my mentor. He's the guy that's my sensei, my, you know, he's, he's, he's my guy that, that is, uh, that I've learned the most from. And give me the biggest, I mean, aside from the fact uh, that you can be more calm and you can lead that way, what are some of the lessons about business that you learned from this man? I'll give you a great example. So the first day I became sous chef, um, so Tara, um, when it was open, it had two dining rooms and in the middle there was a, between the two dining rooms, there was a door outside and then there was two doors to the both dining rooms and there was upstairs. And for some reason, when I got the keys, I, you know, that dyslexic <laughs> thing kind of <laughs> happens and you're like, Oh man. So I locked the, I locked the doors to the restaurants, but am I supposed to lock the outside door? Like silly now, but when you're like young and just figuring this out, you're like, and I didn't lock it. Uh, The next day, someone had broke, had walked in, and they took, they took awards off the, off the 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 front entryway, like his people mobile (laughs) mobile four star award, his like something else, and you know some. I was devastated. I was devastated because those were my goals, right? Yeah. My goals, I, I mean, I wanted Food and Wine Best New Chef since I was, well, geez, uh, 94 years old. <laughs> 90, well, 95 at yeah. least in culinary, as soon as I knew what Food and Wine Magazine yeah. was. Um, those were goals of mine, yeah. you know, and to see that something like this got taken and just he's not going to get those back. Yeah. And I was so upset. And I went to him and I was like, Chef, I'm so sorry about your awards, you know? And he said, um, he said, uh, uh, he's Japanese, so mm-hmm. I, I try to do a horrible Japanese impression <laughs> of it, but he's like, oh, oh, well, that's okay. They're just show off. Yeah. He's like, I'm just glad they didn't break a window. <laughs> like, that's like, like, that was his, you so know, So what was thing. the lesson there? The lesson was to not, you know, like, don't, you know, think about the present. Mm-hmm. Don't, don't, you know, don't, you know, wallow in the past yeah. or and even beyond that. The most great chefs yeah. in the industry aren't concerned about the awards. You know, uh, it, that's not what we do this for. For him, you could tell that no. he wasn't really attached to those awards. He was attached to his business. Exactly. And the livelihood of his business. So totally. And think- then I would say that then another lesson would be one time he was on a book tour and the hood broke down, the fridge broke down, the, you know, Murphy's law of the yeah. kitchen, right? Everything broke down. And he called me and he goes, he goes, uh, Greg, how's everything? And I said, oh, it's, it's awful. It's this and this and this and this is going down. And he goes, he goes, oh, good luck. And he just hung up on me. <laughs> I was like, really? He just hung up on me? Because he just, he trusted me. Yeah. Like I had to get it done. Yeah. I had to make the decisions. And if I made those, if I made the wrong decisions, he would, I'm sure, come back and correct me and say, oh, Greg, you spent too much money on that. Mm-hmm. Oh, you should have called him. But guess what? I got it done, didn't yeah. I? Yeah. You know, and so that was another like you, you have to have, you know, you're the sous chef. Yep. Grow the fuck up. Yep. Awesome. I love great lessons coming out of the story so far. So we're still um, we haven't even touched on. Your yeah, trips I, out know, to I know. Sorry, sorry. No, it's cool, man. I love the detail. <laughs> so you go out to Hawaii. Hawaii. Uh, you come back. Uh, you help 
open a restaurant that doesn't make it after two years than another restaurant. I mean, is there any area that you really want to dive into any points where you really think that you evolve more as a restaurant tour or as a, a, a food and beverage professional? I would say the only thing that I would, I had an opportunity to work at these, both these restaurants uh, that made the wrong call for their, for the demographic. Right. So you had the opportunity to work at these two restaurants. We're referring to uh, uh, Lucier, Lucier, and then uh, Metro Vino. Metro Vino. Both these restaurants were in Portland. Mm-hmm. Uh, after when you came, you spent some time out in Hawaii. You came back. Uh, we haven't even mentioned your wife, which who you met at Terra. Yeah, I met at Terra. Uh, is yeah. there anything worth talking about? Uh, well, I mean, yeah. What, what, <laughs> well, <laughs> I don't want to skip over that. Well, teamwork makes the dream part. work, right? Yeah. So I mean, you were a chef to cuisine. She was sous chef. Mm-hmm. Uh, what was that um, partnership like? Well, we just we worked together. Kind of, in, we started in pantry together, and then kind of worked our way up on the line as I got promoted because I had more experience. Yeah, she followed me, and then so I kind of trained her on each one of the things and or and there was one station i didn't even work that she worked and she was uh the vegetable station that Mm i you know just really great that she she did much better than you know like anyway she's just very talented and she was very committed and i saw that so i just explained as much as i could that works for me Mm -hmm. um at each one of these stations and she of course applied those and then made them even better beautiful um and so we just worked through the whole station together and then we just became a great team and then eventually fell in love because we worked together so well together and you know long nights talking and smoking weed in the car (laughs) and and talking about the evening um eventually became a romantic thing and you know just you know kind of fell in love so i have to ask because a lot of people um you know, it's kind of a sensitive subject. Mm-hmm. Uh, dating employees or dating coworkers. Mm-hmm. Well, how do you feel about that? What's your your theory on that? I mean, uh, like I like to say that like don't do it uh, <laughs> because a lot of the times it doesn't end yeah. up great. And then if you break up, then you're basically staring next standing next to someone that you no longer like on a personal note, or mm-hmm. maybe you know like there's weirdness. So. But the fact is, is that this is the restaurant business. It's a high Spend your life staying shoulder yeah. to shoulder with somebody. If there's uh, emotions it, there, like well, you can't ignore them. I don't it, know. It's it's like it's like the best dating a set site in the world, right? <laughs> yeah. It's like you literally have the same likes. Yeah, you know specifically, yeah. <laughs> you're 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 wired the same. Exactly. So literally, you're like next to somebody who you totally get. Yeah. And why wouldn't you connect? Yeah, I don't know. I'm kind of weird that. about that because at the end of the day, a lot of people say, you know, don't date uh, your coworkers or don't go. Like, I, I feel like that's really just applied for, I don't know. At the end of the day, we're human, right? And we're, I don't know if I subscribe to it. I don't know if I subscribe to it because I've sp- spoken to a lot of successful husband and wife restaurateurs that met working together. And if they did it and they made it work, you know. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Maybe. Well, I think you're also going to start seeing. You also are going to see as it, as we go up, and this is a whole other subject. But you're, you know, you're working with someone. There's legal ramifications now that happen too. Yeah. Right. If 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 you and I are dating, we have a bad breakup. Suddenly, you're my manager. I don't like how you're treating me because you're being weird with me. Yeah. Suddenly, I tell my manager, and you're upset. Then you threaten me because you're we had that relationship before then i'm like you know what this is a hostile work environment and you are now fired because i told the owner that you're being weird at me but i'm not really you know i mean it's like yeah there's this whole other 
this whole other thing, this whole other gross part of this, right? Yeah, you know, I there's, hear you. there's the there's the stuff like me and my wife, which is ends up kind of great and yeah. happy and successful. But there's another ha- there's another side of that coin. Yeah, you know, I also feel like when all that other stuff comes into the picture, is it a? It, it, I feel like it's it's more of a hierarching issue with who you are as a person. I don't know. Like, mm-hmm. just be careful who you get in bed with. I guess is the you know, yeah, like, dude. Uh, yeah. <laughs> we don't need to spend any more time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> let's let's, uh, let's keep going. Uh, yeah, yeah. So you were in Hawaii. You come back mm-hmm. and you started talking about uh, the experiences with these two restaurants. Any things you know to be true about these two restaurants and their demise? Well, I would say that uh, Lucier just part of it was bad timing part of it was bad planning mm-hmm. uh be more specific what was so bad about the planning and the timing well the timing was 2008 okay we were opening a restaurant that had caviar carts and cheese carts and yep. uh, uh there was a river a fake little river inside the dining room the 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 best claw the best tablecloths the best chairs um, Kobe beef and all that, and then the economy collapsed. Yeah. Okay. So, so that's kind of out of your control. That's kind of I mean, out of our you control. You can you can pivot. You can try to adapt to the economy, but when your brand is fine dining, it's kind of hard to make that big of a pivot. As well as it, it when it where Portland was at that time, fine dining was still pretty casual, right? I mean, there was a few restaurants out there that were doing a good job, but mm-hmm. this went to an. Un- I mean, this went. They wanted the French Laundry, of the Pacific Northwest. They were like talking like. Very, very fine dining, and but they were trying to do it in a corporate environment. You kind of can't, you can't mix those two. So, things. what was the? Take us through the uh, partnership, the people that were involved. You were the executive chef. Your wife? I wasn't. Was, you weren't. No, okay. I was the executive sous chef. Okay. So we, the executive chef uh, was a was a was a French chef. Uh, there was a there was a chef de cuisine, and then I was third in okay. charge. Um, and then my wife, who couldn't work with me in that because of the corporate environment. Yep. Uh, couldn't work directly with me. She was uh, hostessing. Um, she was at the door, okay. um, which was a great experience for her, you mm-hmm. know. Um, but it just was, you know, like there's a few things that went, you know. It, the the re- I really liked the restaurant. I thought it was really nice, um, but they're just there's. It just was not Portland at that time. But what I did know was that it, it was so extreme on one side that there wasn't there that it was going to allow growth in Portland as soon as Portland recovered, yeah. right? Yep. Suddenly, you know, because Portland was known before as like you could have $50,000 and you could open a restaurant, right? It was like super cheap. Yeah. You know, you had some mixed match plateware. You had some mixed match forks and knives. Didn't matter. Portland was great. Yeah. Portland was cool. <laughs> because the food was the focus. The wine was the focus. That's all. Suddenly, you could then open a restaurant for four hundred thousand. Then you can open a restaurant for six hundred thousand. Then you can open a restaurant for a million and a half. It doesn't even make a bleep on the on the the Richter scale because this restaurant that opened for millions of dollars. I don't know the exact amount, but I mean it was a it was a brand new build. It was the first wine order was a million dollars in wine. You know, like it it was big money and. So that I knew that one that came circling back that it, it, the it would help the growth of Portland at some point in time, which it does mm-hmm. and it did. Yep. Um, so then we went from there and went to Metro Vino, okay. um, and again, kind of like a little ahead of the curve, like the where we were located was in a section of the Pearl on the west side that 
wasn't completely developed. It was starting to develop, but not there yet. We're trying to catch the wave. Trying to catch it. We opened at like buy low, sell high kind of thing, but the building, you know, I, there, there was a little lack of support. There was also, I noticed that like there was things that people didn't like. Like we, it was a, basically a wine bar because they had this enomatic wine machines. We had like 95 bottles by the glass or something like that. Wow. It was crazy. Then good wines and whatnot, but we preset the tables with um, with champagne glasses. You know, so that's not uncommon in this culinary world. Mm-hmm. People hated it. People were like, they thought, oh, well, look at look at you. I I, I guess I have to I have to spend a bunch of money to be here. Yeah. There's like there like and those lessons are really important. Like to pay attention to your demographic and to be like, hey, this isn't what exactly they want so let's take those glasses off and let's make them more comfortable why were you so stubborn with the glasses why didn't you take them off right away I, it wasn't me okay i was just a chef there that were was you the, as in the restaurant well the restaurant well they we did take them off okay. we, we know but we started with because we wanted it to be a celebration coming in there was yeah. a celebration you know okay. you you know and so you know we the fact that we were part of the lucier thing gave that restaurant some press yeah we being you and your wife me and my wife okay. and opening uh, Metro Vino, kind of this new concept of you know wine bar but food focused and and uh, you know we started putting out some really really good food and I would say that's kind of where we started to get our reputation for being very high quality. Okay, uh, you said that you didn't get the support. What did you mean by that? Well, the the so we had neighbors upstairs like we're in a condo basically. No one ever came down from the condo. Okay. Like, we just, like, they would go to... So you didn't have the support from the community. Yeah, they would go to the cheap Italian place, or they would go to the gelato place because there was, like, cheap sandwiches, or they would go... It was very... You think it was a demographic thing, again, where you had this high scale? it It was very much older, like, older, retired single ladies with dogs okay. kind of thing at that time. And they were looking for happy hour. Like that was just like, where's the happy hour? It doesn't matter about the quality of the food so much. It was the quantity and the price of it. Okay. And, and so we realized that. And then we, you know, we started to change it. We did like $5 burger and bubbles. We tried to get them in, but it also was a big restaurant too. Right. And that was, it was like a hundred seats all get all day. That's a, that's a lot for a restaurant. And it, that's when I realized too, like, you know, like you, you hear these little lessons, right? Like what's the size of your restaurant? If your size, if your restaurant's this size, this is how much staff you have. But if you have that much staff, you have to have this many asses in the seats. Right. Yeah. And we just weren't getting that. But what we were doing that was smart was so we, at this point, you weren't understanding that if you have so many seats, you need so many staff and that costs your prime costs, costs aren't going up. So you got to make so much to cover the prime costs. Yeah. And that wasn't quite something with all this training, all this education, all these stages that was still something that wasn't on the radar yet. Huh? No, well not, not that's a, which is why this podcast exists because you can, you know, there's so many variables to consider. It was the first time that I had ever been a Lucier and Metro Vena were the first time I've ever been part of a restaurant that wasn't busy. Okay. I just had never, every other restaurant I've ever been was just busy. Yeah. You know, it was always too much work. It was always pushing hard. This was like, oh, wait, like. Where is everybody? Where the heck is everybody? Yeah. And, but then we started to, you know, we started to, and this is what I tell young chefs if they want to try to really get into Portland or if they want to make a name. You got to do the 
you got to do the small things. You got to do the wine events. You got to do what are, yeah. Get get specific. Gotta, what are the small things? Well, like uh, hmm, like feast Portland, great great thing. Try to get in there. You know, great. Even if you don't get like name recognition that you think you deserve or want, you're you know, you're part of it. Mm-hmm. You know, and if you do a good job and you work real hard you you know uh if someone's looking to do you know the cheese board wants to do a cheese tasting with some people yeah do that you know uh a farm and farm to table summer things with other chefs try to bring another chef and one time uh one time i did a um when we were both uh so gabe rucker so uh nikki usa has a great event called wild about game where it's a culinary competition on the mountain and I went up there because we were buying meat from them. They invited us, uh, and I went up there just to observe it. And there was this great competition, and I remember I I saw Jeff Latham, the owner of it, and I said, "So Jeff, um, which balls do you, which ball do you like me to suck to get into the competition next year?" <laughs> and he's a he's a dirty old man, so yeah. he loved that, yeah. you know. And it's like, you know. And then I met Gabe Rucker there, and I was like, I was like, hey do you guys want to do, would you ever think about doing a, like a dinner, like a goat dinner or something like that? You know, something unusual. It's like, yeah. So I followed up with him and he actually said yes. And he came to Metro Vino and he, we did a goat dinner and that still is, you know, still sometimes people talk about, yeah. you know, what so, I'm hearing from you right now is it's not enough to be in the community. You need to be interwoven. Into the you community. have to You need to collaborate. You need to work with other people. You need to, grow your network you need to be like your roots need to go deep you need to know people right you need to support one another there's a lot of times that people say they're like pr 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 right the best pr is you Mm. what do you you have to do well a pr company will just be like well here's what you've done and here's the opportunity that you could have here's a blogger that i'll bring in um and have them eat your food or you could do but they're not going to get you into these things Mm -hmm you're you have to do it yourself you have to they might get you an invite to something but like when a pr person comes down you say i want food and wine best new chef you're like i mean okay so how do you how are you going to start doing that you know there's no pr agency that's going to get you those things right it has to be you that goes into the community meets the chefs talks to the chefs gets invites suddenly suddenly you get introduced to people and and you know even when we got like a lot of notoriety like food and wine best new chefs and things like that i very quickly realized that it's a fool's errand to try to meet everybody at the party right you just try to meet you you just try to have one great interaction with a new person at every at all these parties as long as you have one good conversation with somebody it's just amazing how it just you know yep. it just it just boom, 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 boom. Yeah. and then suddenly suddenly you're doing a <laughs> a dinner with some top chef yeah. people and you don't know how you're there uh, you 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 get invited to New York for with Daniel Ballou and you're like part of New York Food and Wine Festival and you're like oh wow how they you got to get you involved know? Is, is what it comes down to I think yeah. it all it boils down to is you got to get involved yes. and I agree with you 100% like I'm on the road right now uh, going from city to city talking from chef to chef when you're present when you get on the ground and you go to be a part of these communities, to talk to people. And if you make a good impact on them and, or like a positive impact on them and they, you break that, you know, that barrier and they like you, they're going to connect you with their network. They're going to introduce you to other people and things will start to happen. 
Uh, same thing with, uh, you know, on a micro level within your own community, right? Yep, absolutely. So, uh, okay, so let's bring it to uh, why did you end up leaving uh, Metro Vino? Well, we realized that we wanted to open a restaurant here. I mean, mm-hmm. the reason why we came to Portland was to open a restaurant. Okay. Right? Did you know your vision at that? Like, at what point did you have the vision of Well, Gabby you- was the one who originally thought of the Argentine uh, grill concept. And as we started to talk about it and plan it out more, we realized that it was. It was uh, something in Portland. Is she from Argentina? No, she's Ecuador, half okay. Ecuadorian. Okay. Um, but we knew basically the restaurant we wanted to open, we wanted to make sure it was creative. We wanted to make sure that it was appealing and craveable and delicious. Mm-hmm. But we also wanted to make sure that uh, it was it, – it, showed both of our culinary history, which mine would be maybe more European in mm-hmm. a certain respect, but it, but she had, you know, she has a half South American side to her. So we wanted to make sure that that was part of it as well. Cause mm-hmm. it was very important to represent us. Why is together. that so important to create something that represents who you are? Uh, because it's honesty, right? Mm-hmm. People can smell shit mm-hmm. from a mile away. Mm-hmm. And if you're, if you're trying to do something that isn't authentic, authentic, People just, they can, they just know it. And Mm -hmm. I don't know how that is, you know, but, uh, I, both Gabby and I worked on plenty of open fire grills. Um, at Terra, we had an open fire. Mm -hmm. Um, we got very, we loved how simple, um, how, when you grill something and caramelize the skin or crust or that you very, you need very little on that plate to make that taste good. Olive oil, salt, pepper, Mm -hmm. maybe a small garnish. And it's, it's already delicious yeah. as a, on its own. And then we realized that, you know, you, you kind of need to be not trendy, but you like, what's that thing that's not being offered that you can do? And open fire grilling was not an Argentine cookery was not here mm-hmm. at all at maybe like one or two places, but they weren't doing it at a, at a caliber that we knew we could. Okay. And, uh, that's when we started to in, investigate and it's crazy you as soon as you really make the decision we're gonna we're actually now looking for investors we're actually looking for spaces we're putting a business plan together yeah. i'd love to give a shout out to my friend toby roberts who was the one who really kicked our ass into this because he's like he's like hey man he's like i'll help you write your business plan because he just gone to school for it yeah. he's now the i think he's the Chief Financial Officer of Pock Pock Group now. Oh, really? Um, yeah. And um, he worked for me at Lucier. All right. Oh, there's a whole group of us at Lucier. Okay. Um, from Lucier. And uh, and he was like, no, let's... And I remember sitting down with him at a bar, and I, I still have the piece of paper, and I wrote Ox. You know, like this is... Like even that, I had worked for Lucier. No one could pronounce it. Lucier... Uh, I would have been one of those yeah, people. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Anybody who even, listens to my intros even, regularly knows I suck at pronouncing. <laughs> even Metrovino, yeah. how it was connected. Some yeah. people were like Metrovino. Yeah. You know, like they, and it wasn't a great name, you know. One syllable. One syllable. We wanted O-X, mm-hmm. big, masculine, and something that, you know, you could bring your grandfather to and he'd be happy with it. Yeah. Or your young, your young nephew who's a culinary student who's really into... Yeah things that are unique and weird, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but that's, as soon as you commit to that idea, 
things start happening. Mm-hmm. They just do. And so you just got to start, right? Once you start and you commit and you start pushing the ball and you build that momentum, right? Yep. Get, you know, shit or get off the pot, <laughs> yeah. you know, like that's what they say. And, and I think that's, that is really what the, the push and that's what got us. And, and then of course, you know, I mean, we were there at Metro Vino for like three and a half years. Yeah. It's not like we didn't put our time in yeah. and it's not like we didn't grow the business. Unfortunately, yeah person who owned the restaurant didn't make the best decisions after and um that's not on you though and well it's not on me but it was like i like there was times where i was really intense on him you know and i and i feel bad for some of those conversations but he was a tough person to he was very egotistical at times Mm -hmm. and stubborn and and he didn't he didn't you know simple things like putting umbrellas because it's a very dark building where Metro Vino was and putting umbrellas out. Like we had a streetcar that went by all the time, putting umbrellas out and like showing that it's a business that's mm. open, Yeah, you know, like lights and yeah. you know things that attract people and re- people like, Oh, that's a restaurant. Yeah. And it's just, it, he just, he wouldn't do okay. those things. So, uh, when you made the decision to, to go for ox to, you know, you had your business plan. How'd you get the money? Well, I mean, the money is, you know, it's very funny how money, <laughs> there's a lot of people that tell you they want to be a part of it. And yeah. then when you actually say, all right, let's do this, hey, let's do well. this, suddenly <laughs> that phone doesn't ring quite as hard anymore. Yeah. And there's not as many ideas anymore. Yeah. And suddenly you can't get a hold of it. And no emails are returned. Yeah. And so uh, fortunately, we found this building. We uh, uh, we talked to the owners of this building. Um, we kind of gave them our business plan and told them what we were thinking, and they loved it. And yeah. they they saw they saw a bunch of like there was a lot of chefs that came through here and wanted this building because it's a very it's a great location. it's a very unique building. Yep. Well, it's a great location now, but it but <laughs> 2012 it, was a different story. A little different story, yeah. but we were one of the first. You know, Toro Bravo's around the corner, which of course that was he's they're probably the Russell Street barbecues down okay. here too. So there's still a few things, but it was, you know, it was, but I, we were like, wow, this is a great building. It'd be amazing to see this. And we spoke to the, and we, we, we met the owners and they loved our idea. And so then they called us and they're like, Hey, so where you're at? And we thought we were going to have all this money and they just didn't, they didn't, nobody was coming through. Yeah. And so we had to, how much do you think and, you needed to, to raise? I don't know. I think we originally thought we'd be able to do it with maybe a hundred thousand dollars or something like that. This is going back to 2012. Yeah, yeah. Like, of course it's ridiculous, but <laughs> Even uh, then, I think a hundred thousand would have been pretty impressive, pretty impressive. <laughs> yeah. but, but we, you know, we, uh, you know, we, they kept on calling and saying like, Hey, we really love your idea. What's your financial situation? What's your financial situation? And finally, I mean, we were just like, we're waiting, we're waiting. And then when we realized that we weren't getting yeah. the money that we needed, uh, they were like, listen, we really love your idea and we want to help you. And okay. so they were the ones who basically financially backed us. Yeah. Not to mention, they're, they weren't just uh, investing in the concept. Mm-hmm. They're investing in you and your wife who have worked for all these incredible people who have turned businesses around. Who you know, And I think that, that variable is something worth pointing out because you can't you know, become a person of value, right? Yep. Focus on surrounding yourself, surrounding or, you know, creating a, your brand, attaching your brand to other people's brands. Like, like Thomas Keller, like, uh, uh, 
who's the other gentleman you dodged for? It's escaping. Oh, uh, Charlie Trotter. Yeah, Charlie Trotter. Yeah. And having this this track record and and learning from these people and you know like develop that personal brand. Yeah, well, absolutely. But I never I never brought Thomas Keller or Charlie Trotter. I actually didn't even put Bouchon on my resume for okay. a really long time until I felt like. I could apologize to him. Yeah. I just kept him off. That's but, true. That's a good point. Because it's, I don't think you should put anything on your resume that's less than a year. Especially if you and walked out. Especially if I walked out. <laughs> yeah, Because it's, it's kind of a bitch move again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, good but point. it's, I think that it's, so I just, when we sold ourselves, we sell ourselves with, with what our vision is, right? Mm-hmm. And we needed to make sure that it was something that, you know, like this fire concept that just wasn't here and steak and, you know, and, and everything I've just talked about yeah. right, and how I described it. And, and then, and then we also had to show them. So we, you know, they came to Metro Vino and they checked out our food and, and we, you know, we talked to them and they thought that our flavors were really great. Yeah. And, and so they invest in you, you get the money, you yeah. sign the open. Mm-hmm. Uh, what was the first year like? Well, I'd like to, I'd like to just point out, we are yeah. partnered with a, a company called Chef Stable. Okay. Uh, Chef Stable is kind of a management group. Huffington? Uh, Kurt, uh, Kurt, Kurt Huffman. Kaufman. He was a past Huffman. guest on the show. Yeah, Kurt Huffman. Yeah. yeah. So we're partnered with him, and it's funny. Kurt actually called the landlords and said, "Hey, I see you have this building. I have some people that might be interested." And he said, the, "Our partners and owners said, um, you know, we have these people that we're really interested in." He goes, "Well, who are they?" And th- they actually connected me and Kurt, and then Kurt became our partner. Okay. And he helped, you know, negotiate the or navigate the waters of opening a restaurant. And so we're really, really happy and thankful that he was there because there was some, you know, that it's tough. There's you- like, when you talk money and contracts and operation operation agreements, agreements yeah. and things yeah. like that, you're thinking, you're talking about like the worst of the worst, like what, what happens when everything goes wrong, right? And so yeah. you're trying to protect yourself, but you're kind of in no position to protect yourself, but you're trying not to get taken advantage of. Yeah. And so there's a, there's a hole, and he really, really helped with it. So, so he was the middleman negotiating what that operational Yeah, and he, like. he and, and then they, yeah, we got the money. We, they, they, you know, set our partnership all set up, and we just, you know, we, you know, the, you know, for us, there was a bit of sweat equity that we had to put in because we didn't have very much money ourselves. So we had to kind of, you know, we had to, you know, eat shit for three years. That's know? what it takes, though. And, and, and are you willing? You of know, course. Are you, yeah, right. And you have to be and you have to know that it's going to take two, three, four years, maybe even five years. If you, if you survive the first year to really get that traction, to get your name out there. Uh, so, you know. Are you willing, I guess? A oh, real quick, let's bring it back to, to Kirk, because he was a past guest on the show, and I know I remember a little bit about what they're doing. They're a, chef, uh, a chef-driven uh, restaurant group where they basically see the talent uh, and help kind of... Um, you can explain it better than I do. Uh, no, I think you're pretty much on okay. it. You know, they, they see the talent, and they, they generally will go and help that talent you focus create. in the kitchen yeah. and we're good at negotiating yeah. in the operational logistical side of things. Well, I think they're also, they're expanding too. Then it's not just the talent that they see, but they also have chef stable catering. They, they do their own like concepts yeah. now too. So they have a, a beer hall where they focused on, uh, um, like only local beer, things like that. So he, he's, he's expanded that, uh, and it's not just, a chef who wanted a beer hall. Yeah. It was 
Kurt, like, hey, this is a property. This it's called Loyal Legion. It's a it used to be a a gymnasium for like police officers or something like that. It's huge. It's beautiful, and you know it's it you know so there's a lot of their concepts that they're but yeah like um they have you know um they've got the they have many you know chefs in their stable as you could say so are you still partners oh yeah okay yeah yeah okay so how does that even work because in all my research i didn't see any reference to kurt well he he doesn't he kind of stays in the background you know um he doesn't he doesn't want chef stable to be like oh like a, that's the one part, great part about Chef Sobeys. You can do the way you want. So he has many things that are labeled Chef Stable. Yeah. But part of it is part of his part of the concept that's got him to this point was that he wants the chefs to shine. He wants the restaurants to shine. He doesn't want to be part of something that um, takes away from that. And you know, you know, he's he's a kind of. Is he a partner in all three of your he's or a, four of your operations? Oh yeah, yeah, we we yeah, we So we, what's that partnership look like? You focus on the food uh and the the culture, uh the training of your staff. Uh is he involved in the day-to-day in no, the restaurants? No, no, he's the chef stable's mostly for us. Now okay. it's, it's again, these are all depends on where, you know, what's his level of partnership, what's his level of responsibility. They're pretty much right, you know, a good restaurant never needs them. They just take care of a lot of the back office stuff, invoicing, accounting, HR, insurances, all those things that like are a major headache. Yeah. And so that's what he does for us. And then when shit goes wrong, he they're there. Yeah. Like, oh man, we had a fire in the hood. You know? Boom, he's there. We had a flood downstairs. Boom, he's there like figuring it out with us. So you I think know? A, a big portion of this conversation that we should spend some time on is like the power of a, a partnership. Right. Mm-hmm. And I'm curious why. So does he, is, does he set it up in a way where like the media doesn't know about um, the partnership or is it kind of meant to be kind of like they're in like the shadows and just kind of fo- putting the focus on you guys? Um, I, I think it's, I think it's up to the, the partner. I mean, yeah. for us, uh, it was very well known in the beginning that Chef Sable was our partner at Ox. Yeah. Um, a lot of people know it, um, but it's not out there. Okay. You know, it's not like, oh, you know, Chef Sable. Well, yeah, but what is the power know. of having somebody who can focus on all that other stuff so you can focus on doing what you do, being your lane, the, the, the back of house and the front of house, and just uh, not worry about the other logistical things that... Well, we learn, we we worry about all the logistical yeah. things. I'm not saying There's you don't a, worry, but to have no, but I mean, who, we we handle a lot of logistical yeah. things. I'm not saying that they they're everything for us. We run our restaurants. Okay. We run all of them, but they're the ones who are the, you know their management Expertise. their management of is is like you would with you know. There's a bit of legal in there. There's yep. a bit of there's a bit of. Um, um, there's accounting, of course. They do all the accounting. They, you know, yeah. Because you'd have to, you have to hire this out anyway, right? Yeah. And there were past guests. I'm gonna try to remember to, the link to that episode in the show notes if you guys want to check it out. Um, okay, cool. So, what? Take us through like the journey of of, of developing this brand, of the, the challenges you had in the first year, and how you eventually grew to the point where you're being recognized uh, for best chefs. Uh, by food and beverage and James Beard, like what? What was that 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 uh, transformation of being a first time restaurateur like? Well, I'll tell you, it was it was not easy. Um, you think that you work really hard as an executive chef, 
um, you know, you open up restaurants, you're an executive chef, you put in hours, like mm-hmm. sometimes, you know, 80, 90 hours. When you're, when you do something like this, which is like on a budget, do as little as you can, you know, like pay for as little, you know, like everything's on a budget. You, you can only hire a certain amount of people. You're doing a lot of the work yourself. There's just not enough hours in the day. Like you are getting up, you're going to bed at like four thirty in the morning and you're getting up at eight thirty, and you think you're late because you just don't have enough time and you do it for four months in a row. It, it starts to, I like to say like it's, it's a bit of a imagine like what warfare is like, you know, like what Nam was like, you know, there's like, they're all around, you know, <laughs> like there's highs and lows and emotions. And I mean, the first time I tried the chowder that I made, like I almost cried. I don't know why. Were you not like, happy with it? I was no, I loved it. Okay. I was like, it's so good. <laughs> you know, like like it's just like it's 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 crazy where where these things how this So how'd you manifest. power through those those emotional highs and lows? You just do it. You yeah. just you gotta suck it up. It's crazy how these things manifest. Yeah, absolutely. All right, so let's kind of try to talk about uh where things start to like when did things really start to take off for you? When when did you know that you had something? Take us to that moment. I think it was probably day number two okay really Why? what it, happened we just were busy yeah that's we, awesome. we were busy we had people waiting like it it came from at metro vino i would listen to the the noise that the dining room made and i couldn't you would hear so, small conversations here it was loud it was ruckus what you guys I, do to, to to put the word out how was it busy like on day one was it because you were a part of chef's table did they promote it did they have the right pr going on or what was going no, on there no it just it naturally happened okay it it really just i think that when you open a restaurant there's 10 things that you need to get there's 10 things that you should try to get right. Okay. To be a successful restaurant, you should hit at least six of them. Okay. What are those 10 things? I don't know, (laughs) but, but I think we hit eight. Okay. Or nine. I mean, it was like, what do you think? Name, name, location, parking, convenience, uh, uh, craveability. That's six. Price points. That's seven. Uh, let's see. Um, Feel. Okay. Um, what do you mean by feel? Uh, when you walk in, the crackling of the fire, the mm. smell of the smoke, ambiance. the ambiance, uh, the service, um, price point, and um, you know. So price know. point, there's a lot of variables there. It has a lot to do with your, your your demographic, the the cost of the food that you're, you know, what it costs you. Uh, anything that gets there, maybe. What about the service? What were you doing about the service that was so special? Well, we were able to... We always wanted to feel casual in the, the look of it and to make sure that it was comfortable for people, mm-hmm. but we wanted to offer them a fine dining level of service. Okay. And so that's always been our... our, our, our con- so the Our feel goal. is casual, but the quality is fine. Yes, exactly. Gotcha. So you kind of confuse people. You're like, oh, wow, they're wearing flannels and jeans. Yeah. But 
they're clearing me, they're wiping me down, they're setting me up for a new course. And the service is awesome, by the way, because I had the, the, the pleasure of eating here uh, a couple days ago yep. in the Garnerich. And like you blink and like your ta- like that's cleaned up, that's gone. You're like, where like where do they come from? Yeah. And that's what the way it should be, you know. Yep. N- you don't even know <laughs> that they're there doing this stuff. Um, okay, so anything that we, I mean, we I kind of want to talk about. Uh, you, you opened your second location, uh, which was Big or Superbite. Superbite, yes. Superbite. Uh, in doing some research, or talk, just real quick, describe the idea for Superbite. What you're trying to do? There. Real quick. Yeah. <laughs> that was that's part of the problem. Is there's no elevator pitch for that one. <laughs> it was a. It was a. It was a passion project. It was. So this uh, is four years after uh, Ox. Yeah, four years after 2016. Ox. Mm-hmm. And uh, we just we just wanted to. We we have been traveling. We've yeah. been seeing things. We you were tra- we, so. How did you get to the point where you were able to travel and you were able to see things? How how did you build up your staff where you didn't need to be there every day? I mean, you just you popularity. Yeah. Uh, you win things. So at this point, you you're get invited to things. You're grooming your staff. You're, you're, yeah. you're grooming your executive chefs. So did you remove yourself from an executive chef or did you have? Uh, well, I, I removed myself from the day to day operations at, at after four years, like in the sense of like, I didn't have to be here to run the, the grill, but then we were expediting a lot, but then we, we just, there was a lot of events. And so you have to, yeah, but but you jump in, of course, as soon as you're back. You're yeah, exactly. You're back in, so you do have to have a bit of control. But it was, you know, it was it was just building. You know, like people like you, then yeah. you get written about, then yeah, you win restaurant you. of the year, then you get food and wine. And, you know, and then every and as, as you start winning these accolades, you're attracting onto yourself people who yes. want to be associated with kind of like how you went to the Thomas Kellers of the world and the Charlie Trotters of the world, and because you wanted to be a part of that, you wanted to learn yes. from these people. Yes. All right, so bringing it back to Superbite, uh, one you're quoted as saying, "We tried to cram a lot of ideas into a restaurant, and that confused the message." What do you mean by that? Uh, we try to do, we try to fix a lot of problems. Like we were like, "Oh, waste is a problem at Ox because people come here and they the small steak is 16 ounces. Mm-hmm. You're not supposed to eat 16 ounces of meat <laughs> no. in one one round. You yeah. know? Not a lot of people can do that. Yeah. So people who stayed in hotels and things, we'd see a lot of meat and a lot of waste go yeah. in the and so we were like, okay, well, let's let's offer small bites of things that are really packed with flavor, so it's not overwhelming the palate. And then let's like they'll they'll have all these small things, and then we'll offer some larger things, but you won't need as much because these things will eventually fill you up. Yeah. So and then we were like, hey, the sh- the the cooks we hire, they'll they'll do a lot of the research. They'll they'll prep the item. They'll make the menu they'll serve the menu you know like they'll get the full experience of this thing and uh you know and then they'll get tipped too you know there was just a lot of this you know it was like a rapid fire tasting menu yeah. it was so but, where do you think you, how did you miss the mark i are going from one ex- so, such extreme to like such a i don't want to call it a flop you guys were open for two years i right? think location had a, a bit to do with it the downtown location in the west end okay is a little bit more conservative. Okay. Um, there was, I mean, if you just look what's around, Tasting Alder is basically a brunch place. Okay. Um, great food. I'm not talking any shit. Uh, great food. Um, then you have Lardo, sandwich place, sushi, you know, sushi place. And yeah. we were a little bit more like fine dining, a okay. little more confusing, but then had a, again, I kind of fell in that trap, that weird name trap, right? Yeah. You know, people couldn't, I knew there was a problem when people couldn't, Say super bite, super bite. They would add s's to it. Super bites. Okay. They would say small bites. They would 
they'd be like, what's super butt? What is a super butt? You know, and there was just like, there's questions as soon as people sat down. Yeah. Um, but again, we weren't at a position where we we're failing there. We just knew that for that location, as I kind of like round, come back around, you kind of need to look at your demographic and say, okay, five years from now, what is Superbike going to be? We need to, we, we know we need to open for lunch in a downtown environment. Yeah. What is a Superbike lunch going to be? Yeah. Super soup, super sandwich. Yeah, I hear you. I mean, most likely people would be just like, just super shitty. But you, you still and, have the location though, right? That's where yeah, Agnes is today. Yeah, that's where Agnes. So Easter Agnes. very easily we went from a Neo Bistro, which is hilarious that the Neo Bistros are in this year. <laughs> what is a Neo Bistro? A Neo Bistro is just a basically a, a high-end small plates restaurant okay. that comes from uh, highly qualified chefs. Okay. So they're just toning down their Michelin star level food gotcha. to a point where it's just very creative. Okay. So that was our, that was our, our point. We just moved it from a Neo Bistro to a classic French Bistro. And it just, it, we're also very passionate about that food too. Yeah. Um, we love a traditional restaurant. We mm-hmm. love that kind of service. We love that kind of food. We love fat and cream yeah. and all those great things and braising. And how's that, that location doing now? Just after- Killing it. And that was in uh, 2006? That's no, uh, 18. 18. You just opened this this in year. January. So uh, what were the things that you think you did differently that made that new location go we, we gave We gave a restaurant to that community that they wanted. How'd you know it's what they wanted? Because of, because of just how they felt about the, After the, being there for the confusion and, okay. of what Superbite was okay. and the anxiety of what people would, they weren't sure what to order. And was that awkward that, that, you know, being the owners, uh, taking something that didn't quite work the way you wanted it to and kind of having to swallow your pride and then kind of try something else in the same location, same owners. Was that weird? It was nerve wracking yeah. because you know it is a little bit of a kick in the balls when you're like not knocking them dead. And yeah. one thing I didn't understand either was that we got no attention from the media here about Superbike, mm-hmm. like a little blips here and there, but we got very little feedback. We didn't get reviewed. Like hmm. they just kind of forgot about us. Like, like what the like? So what'd you do differently with uh, Agnes that? Because there was some media. Around oh yeah, that. I saw plenty of media around that. What was going on that made that different? Was well, it because it was after you. got Well, the people love a story. They people love a people love a clickbait kind of restaurant closure to a opener. So it gave us a renewed. And you, you also had won all your awards. Yeah. After. After Beast oh, Agnes. Okay, so yeah, maybe yeah. it was that part. Of or it? I'm sorry, before Beast Agnes. Yeah. Partly, but we we won the James Beard while we were at uh, Superbike Super too. Yeah. So interesting. Again, it just it was. I think you hit it on the nose. It's the trying to do too much at once, and then the demographics and the demographics, yeah. and you just have to. And what's what is the problem with providing a service that people want? Mm. Like I'm okay with being a restaurant that people want yeah. as long as I'm doing it the best yeah. that I can do. And at the end of the day, we're there for the people, right? Right. We're there for them. It's not, I mean, we, we want our, our restaurants to be an extension of who we are, our values, our passions. But at the same time, ultimately at the end of the day, it's about taking care of everybody. We else. have to stop thinking that we are rock and roll. Mm. We are not rock and roll. We are steel workers. Mm. We are blue collar. We are the factory workers. We are, you're very lucky if you can be a rock and roll chef. Mm-hmm. 90% of all restaurants are 
factories. And that's the other variable, too. You don't become a rock and roll chef by trying to be a rock and roll chef. No. You come by doing the work, you know, yep. and then, then the, 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 all the other stuff follows. So we haven't talked about cask yet. Uh, yep. So anything that you want to bring up before we start to wrap up the free-flowing portion of the well, conversation? Well, cask, cask is kind of uh, – cask is, is – is, Leftover from Gruner, which okay. was the restaurant before Superbite, okay. from a, res- uh, a restaurant, uh, a chef named Chris Israel, who's been here a long time, or was here a long time before he retired. But he, it, it's just a really cozy little bar okay. that does. You it's know, adjacent. we adjacent. You guys share the same kitchen. We share the same kitchen, okay. and and we just do Bistro Agnes food from there. It's 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 more cocktail focused and. It's it's just really cozy. It's mm. one of those neighborhood bars where, you know, we have a lot of like regulars that come in there, and uh, it's just a really it's a really lovely spot. Yeah. So, is there anything we haven't touched on up to this point? Anything that is in the back of your head? Any additional value you can bring to this conversation? Oh man, I mean, things I'm you sure, know to be true. I'm sure there is, but I just think that it's, you know, man, I don't know. It's it's. I think you just have to, this is, this restaurant, this business is hard Mm. and it's not meant for people who aren't in it a hundred percent. Absolutely. And real quick, uh, one thing, the mission of this podcast is to transform the restaurant industry. So let me ask you, how have you transformed? Who were you when you first got into this industry and who are you today? Well, when I first got in this industry, I definitely was way more egotistical. And <laughs> I've been uh, cooking since I'm four years yeah, old. <laughs> yeah, uh, I wanted to be a master chef. Like the young, my goal was to be the youngest master chef. You know, my goal was always was always really, really, you know, crazy high. I've realized that I'm very, very happy with what I have now, and you have to be careful what you ask for, right? Because when you get to the, go to these parties and you get to do these things, sometimes it's, you just want to get out yeah. of them, you know? Yeah. You <laughs> so, know, there's, there's like the certain allure, the certain glamour yeah. or glamification of the French laundries of the world. And then you yeah. get behind the scenes and yeah. you, you realize that on the outside looking in, it looks marvelous, right? But when you see what goes through the day to day, the, 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 the bare minimums just to, to pull off a day and at the step, at doing food at doing restaurants at that level, do you really want it? Do, I mean, like cause, exactly. Like, do you, you really want it? Yeah, exactly. To what <laughs> the question he asked: Do you really want to do this? Yeah. And it's, it's an important question. I, I've talked to a lot of chefs. They're like, you know, I realized that this is what I thought I wanted, and then I got into it, and I realized I just wanted to do what I wanted to do. You know, yeah. and you got to get that clarity. Yep. So, do you have that clarity today? I do have that clarity yeah. today. Beautiful. I know exactly what I want to do, and it's it's this, and I want to continue. to uh, make the brands that we have and our restaurants that we have, we want to improve on them and yeah. keep them consistent and who knows what's going to go happen in the future. Beautiful. You know? All right. We're going to take a quick break to thank our sponsors and we'll be right back. Finally, a simple, affordable, and legal way to share the music that best represents your brand. It's called Soundtrack Your Brand. Get access to soundtracks tailored for any business. Side note, studies have shown that playing the right music can impact your sales. Do you have questions about what that right music is? Soundtrack Your Brand can help you there, too. Here's a fun fact. I'm sure a lot of you out there listening to this already have a Spotify account. Well, you can take playlists from your account and import them directly into SoundtrackYourBrand.com. And my guests are always saying on the show that their restaurants are an extension of their own personal brand. Well, so isn't your music. And now you can 
marry these things together legally. Unlike Spotify, YouTube, or Apple Music, Soundtrack Your Brand is licensed for business use. Skip the hassle of ASCAP and BMI because with Soundtrack Your Brand, it's already included. You can even schedule music for the whole week and adapt the music for each day part. Typically, this deal goes for $26.99 per month, but if you act now before the end of August, you can get this deal for $19.99 per location per month for life. Again, that's SoundtrackYourBrand.com or find the banner in the show notes. Your job as a restaurant owner or manager is to paint a picture of the job done right and to empower your employees with the tools and knowledge they need to excel. This is why you need to check out Wisetail, a premier learning management system trusted by our industry's most recognized names. With Wisetail, quickly scale your training initiatives across all locations, empower your employees to take control of their own learning and professional growth, foster communication and engagement through their integrated training and communication tools and ensure long-term scalable success with the help of their best in-breed client experience team. They'll take you from goal setting and implementation to ongoing strategy and best practices training to make sure you maximize your ongoing investment in your training and your programs. And if you use my links, you'll get your first three months free after signing up for a year contract. Again, that's wisetail.com slash unstoppable or find the banner in the show notes. Our recording. The first question I have for you is what is your it factor, a habit, a trait, a characteristic you believe most contributes to your success? Uh, my if factor would be that I'm um, consistently asking people to do their best. Consistently asking people to do their best. Constant gentle pressure. Yep. I love it. What is your biggest weakness? My biggest weakness that I would be would be that I still sometimes get jealous of other people's success. Ooh, how are you dealing with that? Oh, I mean, I just, I accept it. And then I'm like, stop being a bitch. <laughs> what is one question you ask or thing you look for when you're building your team? Uh, I ask my team to consider them, to consider what the customer's point of view is. Mm. And I ask them to defend the customer. Okay. Um, share one code of conduct or behavior you teach your team. Core value, a way to be, a way to act. Um, to always start the day aggressively and to work very hard in the beginning of the day so that you can, I call it hands on table, that you can be chilling, relaxing, quarter to five, ready to go. Isn't that what Mise en Place is all about? <laughs> That's what it is. <laughs> so what is one uncommon standard of service you teach your team? So this is something that's standard within the, the four walls of your operations, but not standard within the industry. I want people to enjoy working here and that if they're not enjoying it anymore, then they should probably move on. And I think that's a, a level of service that you, you owe to your guests. You, should, you owe it to them to enjoy being there. Because yeah. if you don't enjoy it, they're not going to enjoy it. That's a great level of service. Uh, what is one book that's a must-read to make us a better person or restaurant operator? Oh, man. Um, I mean, I'd love to uh, selfishly promote Around the Fire. <laughs> yeah, book, right. Uh, but uh, I would say the one that I grew up reading the most that um, – really made me understand 
would be Charlie Trotter's Seafood. Okay. And the reason why I say that is because I'd never understood that it, it made me look at food and wine pairings completely differently because they're pairing red wine with with fish, right? And yeah. It, it just it just when I read that it just changed me. How so? Uh, that there's this as long as you're doing it properly, there's there's this whole nother level of I don't know say surf and turf, but you know <laughs> yeah. what I mean. But kind of right, right? Like there's. There's another way to look at things okay. that, and maybe it's not as relative, you know, as relative right now because people have gone, you know, now there's like Noma and, you know, yeah. it's not, but when I grew up, that was the one that really, that really changed me. Got you. Share one online resource or tool you're leveraging. Oh man. Well, I, <laughs> I feel like I'm smarter because I listened to the Joe Rogan experience, honestly. Yeah. Like he just brings the, the way that I, uh, He's a very, like the way he brings guests on that, you know, I'm trying to, I'm trying to be more open to more opinions Yeah, and And listening to somebody like that. And even though it's not, has nothing to do with culinary arts, it really makes me question myself and what what I'm listening to and how I'm acting. Mm. And so I, I really, that would say that that's the one online source. Beautiful. Of and uh, what is one piece of technology you've adopted in your four walls that you're leveraging that increase profitability, communication, efficiency, uh, anything along those lines? It could be a reservation platform or POS, anything like that. Um, poof. Uh, I would say that, um, you know, we, I think keeping consistent records of past customers, whether it be on micros, whether it be on shift notes, whether it be on open table, but keeping them up to date okay. and being as detailed as possible. As in you had a martini here, you like three olives. Let's write that down. Yeah. So what, what are you using to track all that? Uh, we use open table to track that okay. um, because it's easy. Yeah. Um, but I think most reservation systems, you can always track that. Got it. So this is the last question. It's a doozy. Are you waiting? Are you ready for it? Sure. <laughs> if you got the news, you'd be leaving this world tomorrow. All the memories of you, your work and your restaurants would be lost with your departure with the exception of three pieces of wisdom that you could leave behind for the good of the industry and for your legacy. What would those three pieces of wisdom be? Those three nuggets. Um, the three nuggets of wisdom that I would leave behind is, um, don't be afraid of hard work. One. Um, be as fair as possible. Two. And, um, be patient in love, life, and work. Yes, beautiful. Chef Greg, I've loved this conversation. Thank you so much for sharing your story, your time, your knowledge, your mentorship. We wrap up every conversation by calling somebody out. So who's somebody you admire, maybe in Oregon, uh, that I should get on the show and make an example of? Like I made an example of you today. Oh, man. Jeez. Uh, well, there's some great people. Um, I think... Oh, geez. Uh, somebody you think we should aspire to be like. Somebody who's doing it right, who needs to be made an example of. Man. Oh, I mean, uh, Kathy Wims. Kathy Wims. From Nostrana. All right. Look out, Kathy. I'm coming after you. <laughs> I would love to get you on the show. And let the folks at home know, how can we follow your work? If we want to maybe come join your team or just see what you're up to, connect. What's the best way? Uh, the best way is to, uh, you can follow 
ox at oxpdx um, on Twitter and uh, Instagram platforms, uh, ox restaurant on Facebook. Uh, you can also always uh, email us at hello at oxpdx.com. Uh, and uh, you can always get a hold of me. We have a great team. So any message to me would get forwarded to me. Awesome. And you can head over to restaurantunstoppable.com slash Greg Denton. That's G R E G D E N T O N. And I'll have the links into the summary of today's discussion all over there. Jeff, Greg, Den, again, thank you so much for taking the time to join us. There is no questioning. You are unstoppable. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. There's another episode wrapped up in the archives here at Restaurant Unstoppable. Chef Greg Denton, thank you so much for sharing your story, for sharing your knowledge. And man, you got real today. You really opened up and made yourself vulnerable uh, talking about your, your downfalls Early on in your career, going against uh, what this chef at Thomas Keller's restaurant uh, was telling you to do, and you walked away from that incredible opportunity. But you also learned a lot through that experience, and I and I thank you so much for getting open and vulnerable there. Uh, I really thought that was kind of cool to compare and contrast the the different leadership styles. Uh, you know, there's that command and control, and then there's also that uh, more harmonious uh, trust and track like Chef Hero has. And I, it was cool seeing those different uh, leadership styles and what resonated most with you. And I also really love this idea of transparency, of creating something that's an extension of who you are, what you believe in, and then the, the advice that you gave us with PR agencies, right? Like, yes, PR agencies can be a good investment. They can get you publicity, uh, but ultimately, it's not about getting new customers. It's about retaining the ones you already have, right? And getting these opportunities, your ability to serve your guests, to put out an incredible incredible service, to take care of your people, uh, to be entangled within your community, that's the best PR out there. That's public relations. It's not just a name. It's a thing. It's a way to be, a way to act, a way to treat other people. Relationships, guys. Uh, and nobody can manage your relationships better than you. Those are things I don't... I mean, I don't know if you necessarily can pay somebody to manage a relationship it will never be as good as if you did it yourself and it's really exciting because uh this week later this week on friday i have uh somebody who is teaching courses on public relation how to get involved with the media and the right ways to do it he's gonna come he's gonna teach us uh how to do that so it will be a good lesson and uh, we got to build the people up around us uh, to to do the jobs, the day-to-day stuff, so we can be a part of our communities. That's exactly what Chef Denton and his wife have done. Uh, also, the last thing I love from this conversation, finding partners. Uh, Chef Denton found Kurt Huffman with Chef's Table, and they focus on the monotonous stuff. So Chef and his wife uh, the, can, can do what they do best, be in the kitchen, lead, and take care of their community. I loved this conversation today. Awesome stuff. You know the drill, guys. Please reach out to me, Eric, at restaurantunstoppable.com. Tell me who you want to hear from. Tell me how I can best serve you. Keep those five-star reviews on iTunes and Stitcher Radio coming. They help so much. But the best way to support this podcast and this mission of inspiring, empowering, and transforming our industry is by sharing this resource with anyone and everyone you know who is aspiring to be great. You are the average of the five people you surround yourself with. At Restaurant Unstoppable, you can surround yourself with the best. 
That's all for today. Thanks for sticking around this long, guys. I love you all. Until next time, peace out.